Welcome, Cass. It's still awkward because being my daughter, I call her Cassandra, but I know you like me to call her Cassie, so I'll call her Cassie. Every bone in my body keeps wanting to call her Cassandra. It doesn't sound right coming from you, no. I'll I'll continue to call you Cassandra then. That sounds Is that okay with you all? I'll call her Cassandra. Yeah, you know know who I'm talking about. Um, Now, you went on this um, study tour because you're a student at Morling College. So what are you studying at Morling College? Uh, So I'm studying a Bachelor of Theology. Well, what what does that mean? Um, So I'm... Yeah, I'm studying, uh, yeah, about God's Word and and going through the Bible. And uh, one of the things that I'm actually more focused on is the languages. So I just finished Hebrew last year and I just started Greek as of Monday last week. (laughs) So, um, yeah, that's kind of what I'm really passionate about is the languages. And uh, I've also just started doing the Pentateuch in Hebrew, which... I did my first lesson and we went through um, the creation story and I, I came away feeling like I've just gone through a rabbit hole because it was very, very deep. So um, so now, the Pentateuch, some people may not know what you're talking about there. What's, what's the Pentateuch? Uh, so we call it the Pentateuch, um, but for the Jews, it's the, the Torah and it's the first five books of the Bible. Um, so like the law is what Torah means in, in Hebrew. So... Um, yeah, Genesis, uh, Exodus, um, Deuteronomy, Leviticus, Numbers. Um, yeah, mm. the Pentateuch means five in Greek. Now, um, earlier this year, as part of your, your studies, you went on this um, study tour. Um, where did you go? Uh, so we went to Greece and then over to Turkey. And pretty much we were following the footsteps of Paul. Uh, We didn't go to every place that he went to because he travelled very far. But we went to uh, Athens, down to Corinth, um, then over to Turkey where we um, went around to the, they call them the seven churches of Asia Minor. Um, and that's, that's sort of where we then ended was in Turkey after visiting, um, yeah, the seven churches that he, he ministered to. Now, I could imagine, like a lot of us here, we've, we've read the Bible, we've, or we've read parts of the Bible, we know a lot of the stories, and we've heard about places like Corinth and Ephesians and the Colossians and, and, and so on. So what was the experience of, of actually seeing a number of these places Firsthand and going to places of significance to the New Testament. Um, well, I mean, it. I think sometimes it was a bit overwhelming because it was hard to try and picture. Um, yeah, try and picture the situation um, of of Paul like preaching and the words that he spoke. Um, this photo here is of the Areopagus. So this was actually the first. Uh, biblical site that I went to. Um, if you go to the photo before, yep. So Paul um, gathered the Athenians on this hill, and this is where he delivered his speech in Acts 17. And what I really liked about this being my first site was I could I could actually picture this situation because next to this little hill is the Acropolis. And anyone here who's been to Athens probably knows what I'm talking about, yeah? And on top of the Acropolis is the Parthenon. And if you go two photos over, there's the Parthenon. So if you imagine the Parthenon sitting on this massive almost mountain, 
and you can see it almost anywhere in, in Athens. And then down the bottom of this mountain is this little hill and the speech that Paul delivers is pretty much the speech of God doesn't live in man-made uh, buildings or temples and so I could imagine him pointing up at the, the Parthenon which is the temple to Athena as he's delivering this speech so it was experiences like that that were quite profound when you when you realize what these people would have been looking at when he's saying these words you know he's telling them this and then up on this hill is this grand temple so um, it was things like that that, that were uh, quite profound um, but the other site I wanted to show you, if you go over again, um, we went to, so this is now in Turkey. Um, it's in a little place called Pamukkale, and it's the site of Hariopolis. And when we went there, they told us that the tomb of Philip was there. And then, so we went to the tomb first, and then we walked up a hill. And if you go to the next photo, um, that's like a place where people, like, I don't know if it's like a council meeting place, but that's where he was martyred, and it was right next to his tomb. And for a lot of us, I think a lot of us went really quiet when we went there because it kind of brought clarity to how dangerous this mission of the apostles was. Um, if, you, if you remember, a lot of them were killed um, for this. So being in that place... It, it kind of brought a lot of depth to like how special the words they spoke were and, and uh, the letters they wrote because the distances they had to travel were far. I mean, we travelled by plane and bus and they had to walk and go by boat and, and the effort they went to to minister to people was just incredible. And then for a lot of them, they died in the end in tragic ways. So it really... it made you appreciate um, these, the, the letters and the books that they wrote so much more because you realise um, that it was literally paid for with their life. So, yeah. And, and once again, this, this must be, um, I, I guess, encouraging but also confronting when you're actually reading accounts in the Bible and seeing places that are actually mentioned. So you, you mentioned Acts 17, is that right? And if you've got Bibles with you, you can check up on Cassandra. What happened in Acts 17? Uh, well, Paul, he's going through Athens and, he, and he's seeing that there's all these, um, there's all these idols to gods and, and he sees an idol to an unknown god and I guess it kind of makes him a bit angry because he, he calls them kind of ignorant, you know, you're, you're here worshipping an unknown god um, and so he, he gathers them all on top of the Areopagus and he, and he gives them this spiel about that the God doesn't even need idols and, and temples. And I love the, the he, he says, as if he even needs these things because he's so great. Um, and at the end of it, you know, some people were really moved by these words. And so it, it was really, uh, it was quite beautiful to see that because you could see how these people were moved, which makes a difference because when you're reading it, if you don't know the people that Paul is talking to, sometimes it's hard to understand um, what it was that would have moved them to then give their heart to, to Jesus. So, um, yeah, these things were, were really cool places. Um, but I actually wanted to talk to you about something else this morning that... Um, 
was quite big on our trip, and it's actually Greek mythology, which is a little bit weird to talk about in, a ch- in church, but bear with me, it kind of all makes sense in the end. Um, if you want to flick through the photos of the temples, yeah. So for this tour, I had to, I have to write three essays, and the second essay is a reflective essay, and one of the questions that they asked was, what were your expectations of the tour? And what I said was, well, I was expecting that I was going to learn a lot about Paul, a lot about the churches he ministered to, a lot about the letters and the culture of the people, and about his travels and the other apostles. Um, When I went to, to Greece and Turkey, I found that even though I did learn a lot about these things, I learned a lot about Greek mythology. Uh, to the point where I started to feel a little bit frustrated because I'm not really interested in Greek mythology. But it couldn't be avoided because it was absolutely everywhere. So we would talk about all the different temples, um, all the different gods, all the characters of the gods. And it got to a point where I started to feel like I, I actually struggled to see why these people would want to hear about Jesus because they had so many gods. And when you kind of like studied the characteristics of these gods, you realize that these gods look after almost every area of their life. You know, you had the god of the sky, Zeus, who was also the god of of the gods, and then you had, um, there was a goddess of good fortune, there was the god of the sea, the god of music and food, Um, you had the goddess of pleasure, you had um, the goddess of fertility, and so it just, it it seemed like, well, they're, they're looked after, they've got everything they could possibly need, and so I started to feel a little bit like, I'm actually struggling to see how Paul was able to talk to them about Jesus because they built their culture on these gods. And if anything, I thought it was strange that when we went to these places, there were Jewish communities all through these cities. And Paul was actually rejected by them, right? Jewish people who already practiced the worship of one God, you would think that they would want to listen about Jesus because they're already waiting for a Messiah. And yet they rejected Paul. And so Paul went to the Gentiles who worship many gods, and they were the ones who tended to want to listen to him. So I, I, I just found that really hard to um, fathom. And it was probably halfway through the tour that I, it kind of hit me why these people would want to hear about Jesus Christ. And we were at another ancient site, and we were looking at another, another temple to another god, and I was kind of just you know, just zoning out a little bit because, you know, when you've seen one ruined temple, you've kind of seen them all. Um, And a a friend of mine who's on the tour with me, he came up and he kind of was just looking at the temple with me. And then he, he just, he said something that just absolutely, like, changed my whole perspective. And he said, I've come to realize that these people lived in constant fear. And I thought, yeah, You're right, they absolutely did live in constant fear. They had to have lived in constant fear. They created gods to look after every area of their life. And when you put all these gods together and and you look at all of the different characteristics, you couldn't help but feel a sense of emptiness. And there really was something empty about these gods. And I, I realized what that was. And 
it's because of all the temples that I saw, I never saw a temple dedicated to the God of forgiveness. I never saw a temple dedicated to the God of grace. I never saw a temple dedicated to the God of patience or compassion or perseverance or even unconditional love, which was really kind of strange. And so that's when it, it hit me halfway through the tour that, of course, these people listened to Paul because he was telling them about a, a God who, uh, who is so mighty, so powerful, so great, who has these incredible characteristics who they probably didn't even know characteristics like this, who would humble himself as a human to become weak, to die for the people who put him there so that then they could live in glory with him. I mean, this is stuff that probably blew their minds. And so it was almost, it, it made perfect sense to me that they, they would absolutely want to hear about Jesus Christ, which then excited me because I realized then how God is so unique. I've, I've, in this whole week, I heard about so many different gods, and I still come away going, Jesus is like no other. And I love when we get up here and we sing about these songs, you know, Jesus, there is no one like you. There really is no one like Jesus Christ. He is so unique and special and profound. And that was what really hit me when I came away from that. So what started out as frustration <laughs> ended with um, amazement and an appreciation for the, the character of, of our, our Lord. So, yeah, that was, that was probably, probably the nicest thing that came from this. So, yeah. Hmm. We can show our appreciation. Yeah. Um, and out of all of these experiences, and we really appreciate you sharing that particular insight, um, you've got another story that you'll share in a few weeks' time as well. Uh, but yeah, so <laughs> I kind of wanted to leave the best to last. My oh, so that wasn't favorite, the best. Well, that was, that was like an overall insight. My favorite place was, was Corinth, and it's what I'm focusing on in uh, the studies for this unit. Um, but that's a whole nother... That was beautiful in its own way. So. You'll, you'll have to wait for when Cassie's um, coming up next to talk. So that's like a bit of a taster, really, isn't it? So, um, Look, we really appreciate you, you sharing that insight. And I know, I'm sure it's been an encouragement to you. And I encourage you, take the time to, to have a chat to, to Cassandra and ask her more questions. As it's, as it's come alive for her, I'm sure that she would love to be able to share that, that insight with you as well. Can share one more thing? Okay. Um, I, I wasn't going to actually talk about this, um, but I feel like it's, it's kind of been on everyone's mind. It's all over the news. Um, the, I thankfully came home before it happened, but there's been those devastating earthquakes in Turkey and Syria. Um, I just wanted to share, though, that while we were over there in Turkey, the very first night we were there, um, we invited a young woman to come and share with us. She's been living in Turkey for eight years. She's from South Africa, and she's been there as like a, a missionary, you know, evangelizing to the Turks. And if you don't know the background of Turkey, it's predominantly Muslim. Um, and it is one of the persecuted um, churches. Uh, if you see the 
watch list from Open Doors, Turkey is on there. Um, it's not illegal to be Christian there, but it is very, very difficult. Uh, so she's there um, ministering um, to the Turks. And she, when she shared with us, she said, it's really amazing because um, even though it's tough to be a Christian there, and they've already got a pretty strong religion throughout the country, the, the people coming to faith in Turkey is in the thousands because they're desperate for something deeper. And she said those are the, the conversations she's having with people. She said she doesn't even have to go out on the streets. She's got people just coming in to a church, asking questions and, and giving their faith right then and there because they want to know Jesus. Because a little bit like the story I shared, they feel really empty, um, which is amazing. And one of the things that she shared, which kind of was devastating now that this earthquake happened was that one of the things that Turkey, Turkish people struggle with is that they suffer earthquakes regularly and it's devastating and um, it's one of the things that keeps them on edge. They're proud people, they love their culture, they love their language and they love their country. So it must be really upsetting for them to then go through what they've been through. Um, and one of the things that she's heard often shared is that that's why they're looking for something greater and bigger and deeper because they're always on edge about earthquakes. And then we heard that story and then this earthquake happened. And so it's one of those things where I, I urge you to pray for Turkey and Syria and any of the persecuted churches and, and for any of these devastating situations that God might do something and move through this. Um, one of the things that was quite sad to see, I didn't see this ancient site, but one of the Antiochs that Paul um, went to and, and planted a church is now back in ruin and is buried again because it was right there in the middle of the earthquake. Um, but the really weird thing about it is, and I saw it on one of the news threads that was sent to me from the other people on the tour, was that they've actually put a um, like a little hospital they've on top of the site, and in the um, in the news thread that they said they acknowledged that this is a special place for Christians, and they said hopefully it's a place where people can come to find hope again. So, yeah, please pray for Turkey mm. and Syria. Mm, certainly. Thank you very much, Cassandra. Um, how about we, we just pray for Cassandra uh, at this time? Heavenly Father, we just thank you for what you have shown and given experience to Cassandra on this study tour. We thank you for the encouragement that it also is to us, as we've heard previously, we're hearing today and, and we'll hear in a few weeks' time as well. We just thank you that uh, your words within your book are, are not just theoretical or, or just fairy tales, but they are rooted in true facts in places that um, Cassandra has visited and others can visit. And we just pray that this will become real. We just pray that you'll continue to equip Cassandra from here as she goes from here, that she will be able to share um, your words of, of hope to anyone who would listen. And we also just want to pray for the, for the people of Turkey and Syria. We just want to pray that you'll continue to comfort them through this horrific time. So many people have lost their lives and so many injured people, so many people who have lost their homes. And we just want to pray for the, the Christian church in, in Turkey and I guess in Syria as well at this time, that uh, you will work in and through them to bring uh, hope, 
to a, a, a people who are so desperate for hope and, and healing. So be with them at this time. We commit them to you and we ask that you'll be working in and through this for your glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. How about we show our appreciation to Cassandra? And I'd like you to invite Janet Whiting up the front. How about we show our appreciation for Janet? Most of you would probably, probably know Janet, and I'm going to be very careful about how I say this, that you're not just the wife of Paul Whiting, the pastor here, is it? No, he's my husband. He's your husband. Um, so one of the other good things about this is uh, Paul gets up here quite often and preaches and teaches and all that sort of thing. Mm. Now we're going to hear, hear from you. And I'm his sidekick uh, reading the Bible for him. Usually. Oh, the sidekick, yes, <laughs> yeah. yes. So, um, so what I want to do, we're going to talk a little bit about what your role is and what you do during the week and you're going to share some stories about that. But I think it'd be great, now that you've been to our church for a few years now, we want to get to know Janet Whiting, don't we? Mm. So, <laughs> where are you from? Well, originally I was born in Parramatta, down in Sydney, from Sydney originally, um, and grew up, my, then my parents bought, uh, built a house at Forestville on the northern beaches in Sydney, and I grew up there. And then I married Paul, then uh, a couple of decades later, and um, then we moved up here. Uh, 25 years ago, we moved up here to run Camp Drew down at Lennox Head. We got a job at Lennox Head running Camp Drew. I don't know if you've heard about that. Christian uh, campsite down Presbyterian there. Campsite. Presbyterian campsite. Presbyterian campsite on the side of Lennox Head. Yeah. Great. And that's where I met John and Angie. Well, we, um, <laughs> we've got a friendship ago. going back 20 blah, 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 blah years. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. We've known each other for quite a while. Yeah. Um, but just, just before we get into the, the, the other stuff, I just want to know... What did you see in Paul Whiting? <laughs> now, <laughs> he, you know, a, he, he handles snakes. He never he, did then. He didn't then. He didn't tell me we'd have 70 snakes living in my house after we got married. And, and you're welcome to go and visit Paul and Janet any time you like. <laughs> um, We've only got two now. Only got two snakes. Mm. Only two. Only two snakes. Um, and he also rides a Harley Davidson. Yeah, that was sort of the attraction to start with. Oh, attraction. Oh, he didn't have a Harley to start with, though. But my brother said at the wedding that um, my, I'm a, from a Harley Davidson family. Oh, well, there you go. So my so. father and my brother, they all had Harleys. And they, I think Paul felt pressured to have to buy a Harley. But... I hope you saw more in Paul than just the Harley. <laughs> is, is that right? Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. He passed other criteria, too. Had a good sense of humour. He was a Christian. So that yeah. was the main thing. Good qualities there. Yeah, but no, we got on really well. So. Yeah. yeah. So now you've um, been managing campsites and uh, been involved in other things, but what's, yeah. what's your role at the moment? What do you do at the moment? Well, I've been working as a chaplain with Baptist Care for the last three years. And um, I'm the chaplain with what well, used to be called Home Services. It's called Baptist Care at Home now. Um, in the far for the far north coast, so I'm the only chaplain with the home services, and our area goes from well, we've opened up Richmond Valley, so Casino, Kyogle, I think we've got a few in Evans Head now, and uh, all through Lismore, Byron, um, Ballina Shire, up to the border, Tweedheads, we go out to Mwilumba. Um So I'm the chaplain for this whole area, 
How many clients would that be? Well, I at the moment on my table, I've got about um, 80 clients okay. that I vis try and visit and keep connected with and uh, keep yeah, updated. But there's more on that I haven't actually um, contacted yet. Because many of us would know of, of Maranoa, you know, in Alstonville, and has been as that with the um, social and affordable housing here in, in, in yep. Lismore. Yeah. So Baptist Care, along with the other agencies, is, a, is an arm of, of our Baptist churches. So yeah. we've got this relationship, and they run historically these um, nursing homes. Mm. But there's been a push to have more in-home care. So that's the area that you're focusing yeah, on? Yeah, because a lot of people just like to stay in their own homes rather than move to aged care. Um, so I work with aged care. Uh, and um, and I go visit people in their own homes. So I work from home. Uh, I've got a laptop and a phone, but I can get onto the um, the websites and uh, see what new. And I work with the home care package clients. So there's a couple of I don't know if anyone knows, but there's community home support programs. There's a lot of people on that. That's the sort of the entrance way into, and then you get a home care package. Um, and we've got a lot of clients, so I just have been asked to go to the home care package clients, and I think there's about 120, 150 altogether, but I've only got about 80 at the moment. But um, Yeah, so most of the people are happy when I ring them and, and um, introduce myself and say, I'm here to support you, and would you like me to come and have a chat? And um, they say yes, and yeah, everyone's really likes me coming so that's nice yeah. i'm sure they do but but why a chaplain what, what drew you to be, becoming a chaplain well um i was at church and then fiona minton came down <laughs> fiona's a chaplain with maranoa anyway they were running some pastoral care courses and i just had a real i don't know sense within me that i just love the elderly um age the elders of our community so um, I just had a, a desire, to, and I think it's a God-given um, uh, desire to want to work with the elders of the community. And so then I went into training and learning how to um, communicate and, you know, um, do some chaplaincy training, spiritual care course it was actually, and pastoral care. So um, went from there. And I imagine out of these, whatever number of clients you've got there, some of them would have a church background, some of them yeah. would be active in their faith, but others wouldn't be? Yeah, that's right, yeah. So how, how do you navigate that? Because I'd imagine you've got some people who yeah. would warmly embrace and want to chat to you about spiritual things or what's yeah. going on, but others not so much? Yeah, that's right. Um, I don't go in what they call Bible-bashing people. I go in just to um, uh, support them and listen to them and and usually I find out um, during the conversation and interaction whether they have a faith and if they do I pick up on that and go with that and try and support them and the ones uh, that do have a Christian faith because I'm a Christian chaplain um, I do uh, ask them if they'd like me to have a devotion with them they always do so I, I, I have a little devotion and I pray for them too and we have a chat about God and the hope really that um, we have in God and um, and the ones that don't um, that's fine I don't actually I just listen to their stories I love listening to their life stories everyone has gone through so much in their life it's just amazing and um, and you know I ask guided questions in a way uh, what support network do you have and if they do say a church or and sometimes I ask them sometimes they tell me that they've been to Sunday school when they were younger 
you know, and then I, um, I ask them what gives them purpose and meaning and hope in their life and we have conversations and, and go on from there. But, um, yeah, as a chaplain, I'm there to um, provide primarily pastoral care and spiritual care um, and trying to create a safe emotional space for the clients to share, um, confidentially share, uh, with me and um, non-judgmentally too. I, do, I go in and no judgments. So just accept people where they are, where they're at, and try and encourage them and give them the hope, uh, a hope in life, yeah. Because I'd imagine, uh, it's probably not, don't want to be too general, but I imagine loneliness for a lot of these people yeah. would be quite evident. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of people that are lonely. Everyone's personality is different. Some people don't mind being on their own like my mother, but um, <laughs> other people, yeah, get very lonely. There's, um, I do see some needing more priority than others. Some have a, a huge family support network and, uh, or live with their husbands or spouse or family and others are on their own and they may not, they may have dysfunctional families, they may um, have been here from overseas, they may not have any family at all. Um, and people that go in hospital, I can see if they're in hospital and I try and visit them in hospital too. Um, so I sort of prioritise a little bit um, the needs of the people and my clients. Um, yeah, so that's good. But I've got a, um, I've got a, I just thought I'll read out a little, mm. a great definition of spiritual care. It's sort of changed a little bit over the years. It all used to, everyone, when you say spiritual care, they think of religion. Um, but these days, um, I'll just read it out. I thought it was really good. It was on the Baptist Care web website. And it says, Spiritual care is that care which recognises and responds to the needs of the human spirit when faced with trauma, ill health or sadness and can include the need for meaning, for self-worth, to express oneself for faith support perhaps for rites or prayer or sacrament, or simply for a sensitive listener. Spiritual care begins with encouraging human contact in compassionate relationship and moves then in whatever direction need requires. I just mm. thought that was a really good definition and that's what our chaplain, us chaplains do. Because um, everyone's got different needs and um, listening, uh, the, the main role of mine is really listening to people, not giving answers, not trying to fix things, listening to their story, sitting in the ditch with people if they're having a hard time and listening to their story and validating their feelings and, you know, making them feel valued and important because every single one, every single person is important. So um, that's my role and... Um, yeah, and I, I've been sending birthday cards because I can see when their birthdays are. So I send birthday cards to everyone and, um, yeah, try and do something special for them. If I, you know, if I know they like something in particular, I'll pick some flowers out of my garden and take to them or, you know, do some personal touches like that. That's great. Yeah. Now, we've called this Stories of Hope, this, this cafe church, and you've, yeah. you've got a couple of... Stories of hope, haven't you, yeah. in your role? Yeah, as a oh, look, um, so many of the elderly have been through such a hard time medically and, um, you know, with families or all circumstantial, environmental. So I guess coming up to the, the um, 
anniversary of the floods, I do have a, some clients in Ballina, actually, that got flooded at the end there, um, whose house was... Oh, they've been devastated, really. It, it came through all their house, and they're an elderly couple and with medical conditions as well. And it was just so hard for them and so heartbreaking to, to talk to them. But I, I go in and they appreciate... Um, I listen to their story and just sat with them and they've showed me through the house. They've just... The house was totally gutted. They've pulled everything out of the house. They only had the... To look at the house on the outside, it looks fine. You go inside. It's a bit like people, really, isn't it? Some people, you look fine on the outside, but people are broken inside. Mm -hmm. And that's just like their house. Yeah, I walked in and everything was ripped out. And But they refused to leave. They wanted to stay. I think their bathroom was all right. So they just kept... And it was so cold. It was through winter. And I said, you must be so cold overnight, you know, because they had no electricity. And uh, But anyway, um, I sat there listening and um, they've really appreciated it. And through that, um, their faith, they told me about their faith in God and I thought, well, that's fantastic. So I've been encouraging them and, and supporting them and they know that in time things will get better and I've been sharing with them um, passages, uh, hopeful passages in the Bible um, that do not fear, you're never alone, you know, God is with you um, and they've found that, they have told me, they've found that really encouraging, um, knowing that their hope is there in God and um, they'll just keep going day by day. And they're up to now, they've, lucked, oh, they've been able to get tradesmen in. I mean, there's a lot of people here in the audience that have been through just as the same situation. But they have had hope, they've had, um, you know, tradesmen come in and they're nearly there um, back to what they were, but not quite still. So, but it's been very traumatic. There's so many people traumatised by these floods and even when it rains, I like this week again. Um, but yeah, the hope is still there with them so they can see that hope and they hang on to that hope in Jesus as well. And um, another lady... Um, it's not the flood related, but um, she's been through a really hard time. She's on her own and uh, the last couple of years she's had to look after her husband who was very sick and she was his carer and that was very uh, exhausting for her and she's not well herself. And Baptist Care have been, both these families, they've had services come in uh, to help them stay in their own home but this lady uh, her husband eventually died and uh, then she decided to move house and so she within a year she's packed up sold and moved her house and um, going through very traumatic stressful times that's you know grief on multiple levels um, she was experiencing you know not just a husband dying but the the loss of her home the loss of uh, independence too and yeah lots of different losses in life people have um, and she's anyway I've been with her I've been going through journeying with her through her grief process and um, it's been a really lovely time with her and she's opened up too that um, she's not an, she doesn't go to church but she has a Christian faith and to start with she said oh I pray to God every night and, oh, oh, do you, you know, so I picked up on that and 
we've built a really lovely relationship and um, it's the rapport and relationship building which I love about this job too um, because you know that you almost become friends you know you have to have to set your boundaries but um, it's just a lovely lovely job to be able to encourage and give people hope bring the hope in of Jesus and um, I can with her now uh, we even uh, do devotions together and I pray for her and um, she's now moved into a new house a new place and um, yeah things are looking hopeful again for her and, I, and she keeps saying to me, even in text, when she texts me, she goes, it's all in God's timing, you know, it's all in God's timing. And I said, yes, it is. So, uh, and I, yeah, so it's been great, you know, keeping that relationship going with her too and just supporting her because she's got dysfunctional family. She's really only got her sister down the south coast and due to different circumstances, um, it's nice to be able to support her. So great hope. Um, that she has too, that things are getting better. And um, she has that hope in Jesus too, that she knows good things are coming. And um, it just reminds me and everyone here of uh, the f wonderful verse in Isaiah. Can I read that out? Certainly. <laughs> I thought, you know the hope verse we have. Oh, hang on. Um, in Isaiah 40, 31, you know, the famous one, which I just love. Um, I love eagles anyway, Harley-Davidson eagles. But, um, <laughs> that, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. And that's the hope in the Lord that we have, you know, that hope that gives us hope gives you better quality of life it re reduces your strength um reduces your stress levels and it helps you to feel better they've found and um and even here it gives you that strength when you're hoping the lord you know you've got that strength that positive thing to look forward to so i love that verse. And, and you must notice that a bit with different clients those who have a hope in the lord the the opportunity to connect and see that um yeah well-being i guess you could say yes yes yeah. That's right. Yeah, you can, you can. So, yeah. And just to pick up on one of those things, grief must be a, a big aspect for so many at that stage of life. Loss, yeah. of, loss of partner, loss of family, loss of their home. Yeah. So many losses? Yeah, yeah, so many losses. You know, you think of grief and you just think of death. Mm. But loss is, there's so many losses, you know. If you can't drive anymore, that's a big thing for the elderly. They, they lose their independence. And that's very stressful and traumatic um, to lose your independence mm. like that. They, the loss of sight, the loss of hearing, you know, a lot of people here are, uh, perhaps know of or in that same boat. But it is um, quite distressing for a lot of the people that I visit. And um, I just have compassion. I just see Jesus has compassion on the elderly too and, um, you know, the orphans and widows. But I just love um, being able to support the elderly. Yeah, I just have a real compassion for the elderly. Paul's the children's pastor. I said to him, he's at the alpha and I'm the omega <laughs> of the Christian lifestyle. <laughs> That's great. And also, yeah, just p even when people are palliative, um, yeah, it's great to be able to go in. And I, I got to uh, chat to one lady before she died the next day. And it was really special to be with her and her family. And 
her daughter said she really loved talking to me, you know, and that was just really special for me to hear that too, that mm. we are there to make a difference and to just make, help the, the elderly feel, can feel invisible. I was talking to a lady the other day that nobody speaks to her, like she goes to a family party. None of the young kids come up and speak. And, and I said, yes, it's like you've, you're invisible. She goes, yes, you know. So it's nice to show that they're valued and they're important. Yeah, and show them God's love. That's us chaplains are here to be ambassadors for, for God's love out in the community. So hopefully they'll see the love of Christ shining through me and we can get those um, interactions and, yeah, and chatting going. But the life, life stories are great, yeah. That's fantastic. So Janet? That's what I do. And also, I'm a chaplain with the DRCN. Oh, yes, that's I right. I just thought I'd add that too, which is, stands for the Disaster Recovery Chaplaincy Network. And um, we are, I am going down to the service on Tuesday night because we've got about four chaplains from the DRCN going to be at that service on Tuesday night. So I'm going to be one of them. And also there's going to be wellness hubs popping up around the Lismore on, um, from Tuesday till Sunday. And the DRCN are going to be uh, manning some of those hubs as well. And I'm going to be there on, a, on Wednesday with another chaplain. Fantastic. Yeah, so mm. that's really good. And so we just listen and, uh, and just support people in their, yeah, still traumatised by the events. Yeah, yep. so it's been good. Been a great, great, no, I don't see it as a job really. It's just ministry. a ministry. Yeah, yeah, great ministry. Thank you so much, that's Janet. It's been great to, to hear from you. Um, and we just want to encourage you in, in your role, and, and particularly now, an opportunity to be able to hear a little bit more about, about Janet. I want to pray for you because um, you need to be strengthened by God, I guess, every day as you, you go and connect with people and listening and, and having the, the, the right words. So yeah. how, about we, how about we pray for, for Janet? Heavenly Father, we just thank you uh, for, for Paul and Janet. We thank you for the, the way you've, you've blessed us with their, their presence and, and friendship. And we just want to pray that as you've opened up the door for, for Janet to serve in uh, this role with Baptist Care, we thank you for the way in which you've connected her with, uh, we call them more than clients, with, with your people. We just pray that uh, you will continue to uh, work in and through Janet to be an encouragement and, and, a, and a point of connection uh, to you with these people. So we pray, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the, the, the stories that we've heard, these, these, these folk down in, in Ballina who are recovering. We pray that you'll continue to, to strengthen them uh, as they continue to navigate uh, recovery and also for this other lady as well. That this will be a great opportunity to continue to disciple and, 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 and grow in the Lord together. And we think particularly of, of Tuesday. We just pray for, for Janet along with others who will be present there at this um, anniversary event. We just pray that you will uh, use uh, our availability uh, to be able to offer the, the hope and a listening ear to those who are still navigating the, the trauma of the last 12 months. So, Heavenly Father, we just ask that uh, you will continue to guide Janet as she goes from here and we continue to hear good stories about what you are doing through her and for Paul as well. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah, let's show our appreciation to Janet.